This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. I'm Elliot Gotkin, and in this episode, why Christoph Riecher left Goldman Sachs to found SME lending fintech iWalker, leaving his investment banking colleagues both bemused and jealous. I wanted to have a much more entrepreneurial challenge, and um, and so decided it's it's now or never. And um, and then I I jumped again into the cold water, and I remember that um, there was one camp at Goldman that was. Um, really thinking that was a really stupid idea um, for all the reasons that you that you cited. And then there was another camp um, that I was um, quite envious that I made that step and said, oh, you know, I should have done this also a few years ago. Um, now it's probably too late. And um, and these were exactly the feelings. I, I wanted something new. I wanted, um, as I said, to have this um, direct impact on, on, on the economy. I wanted to set up my own company and um, and I just, you know, if you want, jumped off a cliff. Christoph Riecher, uh, co-founder and CEO of iWalker, thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Thanks for having me, Elliot. Uh, it's great to see you again. How's it going? Very well. Busy as ever. Um, and, I mean, obviously, beyond the uh, impact on, on people's health and lives, you know, a lot of everybody's time, whether it's to do with their work or their personal lives, has been kind of taken up by the pandemic. Um, did it hurt iWalker how did it hurt iWalker how did it help iWalker because I know that you know different startups different fintechs kind of you know perhaps had a dip and then things went through the roof or perhaps things were just plain sailing but obviously being in the business that you're in perhaps uh, you experience things from a different perspective yeah it was certainly a turbulent time at um, at iWalker as it was for our customers and um, broadly speaking there were um, three phases um, in during this time the first one was where the general phase of no one knew what was going on and um, we provided a huge amount of support to our customers and really helped them to understand the very, very fast uh, pace of change. And um, and then we started um, the Seabuilds program and provided significant amounts of, of liquidity through the scheme to, um, to help businesses have the funds available to continue to invest or, or manage their business. And, um, and now the third one is um, emerging from the crisis and um, and really providing them with funding through our core products, which during this period, uh, we have um, expanded quite a bit, uh, our product range. So it's been, it's been a, um, a challenging period, um, but it's one where I'm very proud to say that the team has coped really well and, and continued to, um, to innovate and uh, expand our capabilities. And in the end, I think that's what um, it's all about. It's, you know, in a, in a business, you need to have a purpose that you pursue. You need to have problems that you want to solve, and then um, and then expand your capabilities in getting better at uh, at solving those problems and solving them in more ways than than you did in the past. And we've done quite a bit of that. And I guess it must have been incredibly satisfying to be in a position to be able to help so many small and medium sized businesses who are suffering. I guess the other point by being someone by being a, a company that was 
helping to distribute these coronavirus business loan interruption or being part of the coronavirus business loan interruption scheme or, or Siebel's, as you said, um, that presumably was also good for iWalker's bottom line as well. It, um, it, it certainly helped um, to, um, to provide these funds and, and enabled us to generate revenues during this period. Um, a lot of our customers used um, the bounce back loan scheme and um, the various support schemes that were available in, in, in Germany and used these funds um, also to refinance us, um, which um, had reduced our revenues during the period. And through the um, Siebel scheme, we were able um, to build a fairly um, significant uh, loan book, uh, which enabled us to compensate for some of that. So overall, was it, I mean, for business, obviously, we're not talking about the health issues and other issues that, that people were dealing with. But I mean, overall for iWalker, was it kind of like, did they cancel each other out? Did they kind of balance each other off uh, these these two kind of, you know, uh, issues? Or, or, or was it overall positive for, for revenues? Was it overall negative? I think in the, in the, in the short term, uh, it was uh, overall not fully compensating for the reduced revenues that we've had. Um, but if I look at it longer term, I think um, it definitely will give us a boost as um, we're, we're now able to provide more products to our customers and have um, more products that also will generate revenues for us. Right. And of course, a crisis is sometimes, I suppose, paradoxically, the best time for people to start new businesses. Uh, did you notice a lot of that going on? Uh, did that, and that, did that mean, did that translate into more demand for small business loans? Uh, I think that's something that we will only see in the in the coming uh, year or two or in the coming years that these many businesses that formed during the crisis um, will look for, for, for external financing. Um, when they're just starting out, um, then, uh, you know, usually they start out with their own funds or with um, seed funding that they might get from angel investors. Um, typically, we're not coming in at the moment where they're starting starting their business. But I think there's so many businesses that um, that have been created and um, and clearly they will have funding needs that um, uh, that need to be met and that I think we're very well positioned to, to help with. Right, so, so it bodes well uh, for the future. Um, one of your rivals in the SME lending space, Market Finance, uh, recently raised almost $400 million, I think it was, in, in quite a monster round. Um, should we expect something similar from Iwaka in the uh, near future? Uh, we have been uh, raising a lot of funding over the last um, um, 12, um, 24 months for um, our lending operations and um, and therefore have actually raised a few hundred million, um, probably a similar scale to that. Um, we're, we're currently well funded from an equity perspective and, um, you know, might, might go back into the market next year, um, given that the conditions are still quite good and, um, and we have made a huge amount of progress. So, I um, uh, we'll see. We'll see next year. <laughs> and of course, you know, you're not the only SME fintech uh, lender in the space, whether it's uh, market finance or funding circle or Libris, you know, that there's quite a few out there. And I guess as everyone kind of adds more products to what was originally their, their core offering, you're going to inevitably overlap. I mean, how would you say that you differ from these uh, rival SME uh, lending fintechs? Difficult to say, um, um, you know, on a, on from a you know from a case by case basis. I think we have um, been concentrating for many years now in, in building a very in depth um, tech stack and uh, really heavily invested in the infrastructure 
that enables us to do um, lending at scale and now at scale across a number of um, of products, and um, and that coupled um, with the infrastructure that we have built to embed our financing into third parties is um, is still quite unrivaled in in the market, and I believe um, will only show its real its real force in the in the coming years as we as we scale it after the after the pandemic, and um, and I'm quite confident that. Um, um, that we have an edge um, by by having this very strong focus and heavy investment over many years in uh, in doing so. Okay. Uh, now, I mean, you and I met, I think, the first time a couple of years ago in in Paris before before the apocalypse. Um, but you obviously had a life before then and, and before Iwaka. Uh, perhaps you can just uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you know uh, Christoph uh, before before we met, at least. <laughs> um. Well, I'm wondering how far I should be going going before we met. Um, go as far back as you like. But starting, I um, you know, I actually wanted to become an architect in my early sort of ambitions of what I wanted to do in life. I was um, you know, always quite fascinated by the creativity and by creating creating things and, and building building houses. And um and buildings was something that I was taking a keen interest on. I um, felt then so over the years that my creative talent might not bring me to the level that I wanted to be as an architect and, um, and always had a, an interest in finance as well and um, ultimately ended up in, in banking for that reason. But I really like the idea of um, what finance can do um, and, and how much finance is enabling the, the industry. And um, during my work in, um, in, in in banking, I was primarily on, um, on 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 global markets and was dealing with macro indices. And while I learned a huge amount of how the world is working as a connected uh, interplay of, of of finance, I um, I was lacking some of the direct impact that I wanted to have on um, individual people. And that's, I think, where really the ambition was born to set up my own company and why I liked so much um, to take on the challenge to provide financing directly to those small businesses that have the most direct impact on, um, on, 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 on the economy by uh, providing them with the financing they need to make investments, to hire people, to buy more stock um, that they would sell. And, um, and that was really the, you know, what has been driving me at the time and is still driving me today. Um, to solve that problem for them, how can they get access to finance um, without all of the um, cumbersome process that they had to go through and in many cases um, ended up in not getting the financing they needed? How can I help solve that 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 problem and um, and you know i'm still still very happy to have chosen that that path and uh, been pursuing this relentlessly over the last ten years. Uh, well, I want to just come back to that in, in just a moment. But uh, so, so when the young Christoph, uh, you know, had dreams of building houses and uh, other, uh, you know, architectural uh, feats, uh, I mean, what, was, this was a pretty standard, you know, middle class upbringing in, in, in Germany, right? Or what, what was what was it? Was it anything to uh, any interesting things to share there? Yeah, I'm pretty, I would say pretty, pretty normal um, upbringing that I had, um, you know, I had um, grew up in, 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 in Germany and um I think the other bit I was always quite keen on is to get out in the world, and um, and therefore straight after school I decided um, to move on. I studied in in, in Switzerland in the French speaking part because I was very keen to learn more languages, and um, 
and felt that I would be speaking English all my life. Um, so wanted to study in another uh, language than in English, chose French, which was bloody hard in the beginning to um, learn, um, you know, the language while also trying to, to pass my, my tests. And, you know, I remember my very first lecture um, was uh, statistics. And um, the people coming out of the lecture room were saying, oh, this was really hard. I didn't understand the word. And, uh, and I really felt, yeah, I didn't really understand any word. <laughs> um, and, um, and it was a great challenge. It was really, um, you know, I've been throwing myself in the cold water and it was quite tough in the beginning. But ultimately, I um, learned the language, um, passed, passed my studies and then moved, moved to London, finished my studies there. And then um, really liked London and um, its, its international setting, the multicultural aspect of it. And um, I'm so very happy that I can call London my home. Uh, even post-Brexit, you don't have any uh, kind of, nothing's changed for you? People don't, I don't know, d does it feel different at all to you? I, um, well, except for the fact maybe it's a bit more difficult to get fuel these days. Um, <laughs> as we're lacking a few uh, lorry drivers post-Brexit. It's not that everyone disappeared um, post post Brexit, and um, I think the life at large is is um, the same as it has been um, pre pre Brexit. And um, you know, the life that I see in the company is um, is uh, largely unchanged. And so, you know, you, you've gone and done your studies in Switzerland. You've continued uh, into London. You've moved to London. You, then you start working in banking, um, and I think you were at Goldman Sachs for for some time. I mean, how hard? or easy uh, was it to leave a steady what i assume was a very well paid job at goldman sachs and then set off on your own to pursue that ambition to have more personal contact like do work in finance but where you can kind of see the impact that you're having yeah i've spent uh, seven seven years at goldman so i was um you know relatively long time long enough for me to really say i'm a professional enough um to say that i've i've seen it and given it my best go but towards the end of it, I just felt um, um, if I stayed now, and um, then it would need to be a commitment for another at least five years to get to the level that I wanted to be. And um, I just decided for myself it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I wanted to have a much more entrepreneurial challenge. And, um, and so decided it's, it's now or never. And, um, and then I, I jumped again into the cold water. And I remember that um, there was one camp at Goldman that was um, really thinking that was a really stupid idea um, for all the reasons that you, that you cited. And then there was another camp um, that was um, quite envious that I made that step and said, oh, you know, I should have done this also a few years ago. Um, now it's probably too late. And, um, and these were exactly the feelings I I wanted something new. I wanted, um, as I said, to have this um, direct impact on, on, on the economy. I wanted to set up my own company. And, um, and I just, you know, if you want, jumped off a cliff into the cold water and, and had to learn to swim. And, um, and it's, you know, ended up being a really rewarding, rewarding experience. Not an easy one, but, um, and I've never, I've never been stopping off um, looking for difficult, difficult challenges. So that's, I guess, a bit bit of me there's sort of a track record in, in the number of life choices that I've made where I could have gone a much easier path than, than I did and um, I enjoy that I enjoy challenges and I guess that's the departing Goldman Sachs but then obviously you had to deal with the actual process of setting up a fintech setting up iWalker 
Um, presumably it wasn't as simple as that. Can you kind of talk us through some of the some of the highs and lows, some of the challenges of, you know, creating Ywalker? Sure. Um, so first of all, coming from a big trading floor, you're probably as far away from knowing what it takes to run a business as it, as it can get. And, um, and so the first few months, I, um, I just spoke to, um, to other entrepreneurs, to, to investors, and, and I interned um, at um, two, two other fintech companies in Berlin, um, one one being Smava, uh, one being Smava. The um, you know at the time, um, one of the very few peer to peer marketplaces, and um, and the other one was Friendsurance, um, which is a was a, is still a um, they're still around, very successful as well. Um, they started as a peer to peer insurance company, and uh, they literally just had launched at the time where where I started. And these were incredible experiences. And I'll never forget that at Frenchurance, there was someone asking me, so how do you measure uh, customer acquisition costs at Goldman? And uh, you know, my, my customers in, included uh, companies like Novartis, for example. <laughs> that was a difficult way to answer how, how we're calculating customer acquisition costs. But you can see how, how like, the worlds collided um, from the one that I was coming from and the one that I was um, going to. But I collected very valuable um, experiences there. And there was this one advice that I kept on, on getting from people that I've been speaking to, which was do not start your own comp- company by yourself. You know, do get a co-founder. Um, it just um, makes your life so much easier to do it um, as, a, as a team than, than trying uh, to you know, already do the impossible by yourself. And I took this uh, this advice to heart. It was probably the best advice that I'd uh, gotten, um, um, in, in, or one of the best advice that I've gotten in, in in my life. And my first mission, after choosing to um, solve that challenge around giving small business owners better access to financing, was to find a co-founder. And um, and that was 2011. So fintech wasn't really a big thing. Um, some of the very well-known names that you know you wouldn't uh, imagine not having anymore. They, they simply either didn't exist at the time or, or just had started. And, and fintech wasn't a thing. And, um, and there was only one fintech uh, meetup in, in all of London. And, um, and I saw that James, my, my co-founder, um, posted that he would be going there uh, to this fintech uh, meetup. And um, I decided to go and you know, met him and we decided we were the right couple to, to move forward. But that was certainly one of the very defining points of our history, and both of us are still um, are still very active, um, really, um, um, in the thick of of the business, and are quite complementary to to each other. He has a much stronger um, quant um, math um, tech background to mine, which is much more um, commercial organization. Um, and, and sales related, and so the two of us um, really were great. Great uh, covered a lot of ground as um, as a, as, a, as a founding team, and I think that really helped us to um, to launch the company successfully and and grow it over time. So, great. any so advice you, to anyone uh, who's so listening? So don't don't try to do it by yourself. <laughs> it's uh, much better to to be a team. Best advice ever. Right. 
And uh, you're, obviously it was a good match, so you're, you're still together after all of these years. But um, Christoph, just, uh, if you can just hold on uh, just a moment, we're going to come back to your story in just a minute. I just need to remind everyone that this podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme for 2021. And in this special pandemic period, you can enjoy throughout the year top-level live sessions with key industry players, exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one, and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers, develop your network, create new business opportunities, and continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry and you can find out more at www.parisfintechforum.com so um you've made the leap you've met your co-founder uh, and then obviously what was the first thing you had to do was it to, to, to raise money what what were some of the challenges um that you faced were people welcoming you with open arms were they slamming doors in your faces tell me about you know the actual you know early days of iwaka so um, you know, it was just the two of us actually all the way until we uh, we had written our first loan, funded our very first customer, which was on first um, of March, twenty twelve, and the two of us met on the twenty third of of October, and um, you know, at the time there was virtually nothing, no no uh, bank accounts, no no office. Um, you know, getting the bank account was actually proving to be more difficult than I thought it would be, um, and luckily there was Metro Bank. It was hard. It's hard to get a bank account. Oh yeah, it's been incredibly hard to get a, a bank account for a, um, a for a lending company. Now, generally, you, you have heard that feedback from many people in fintech, whether that's payments or lending, um, that um, banks are not particularly keen um, to open banking bank accounts. Um, but there was Metro Bank, which was um, at the time also a relatively new bank in the in the UK. Um, priding themselves on an absolutely exceptional service. And I can only um, uh, underline how excellent the service was. I went there on a Friday night at 8 p.m. and um, I could pick up my um, my in-store printed um, debit card for the company the next morning at, um, at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, which at the time was absolutely unheard of. And, um, and they, they were happy to take us on. So that was the starting point, um, you know, having a bank account does um, mean that you're a real business because you um, you can then um, um, accept payments and, and make payments on behalf of the business. Um, yeah, great memories from from that time. So as I said, we launched on the first of um, February, first uh, of March, twenty twelve, and um, and um, James had built um, the the tech stack, um, the ability for people to to sign up um, and, and and us to offer that loan and. Um, and we made a manual payment out, but we didn't quite book, uh, build the um, functionality to take repayments at that point, just after launch. And then we were hugely surprised that our first customer made a repayment after two weeks. And uh, the functionality wasn't quite there yet to actually book this into into the system. But uh, very exciting times. We're really building building the the, the rails with a with a train steaming behind us and. Um, and that's, I think, the experience that, that you get by, by setting up your, your own company. And, uh, I mean, just, uh, I know you, you said the Metro Bank kind of, you know, was there for you there. I think I was the founder of, uh, co-founder of Cantox was telling me they were literally just, they managed to acquire, to, to agree on their seed round. And just before they're about to accept the money, it was like a million euros or a million pounds or something. Uh, the bank got wind of what it was that they were going to be doing and, and closed their bank account wow. down. And so they had no bank. They had the seed round, they had the money, but they couldn't receive the money. So, um, so yeah, so I guess things perhaps are, are a little bit more, uh, um, 
more more friendly towards uh, fintechs, whether they're lending businesses or or otherwise right now. But um, we, we touched on this just, just before about, you know, you, you're obviously a German, you're in the UK and, you know, life hasn't really changed for you post-Brexit. But I'm just wondering, you know, if you were today to decide to found Iwaka, um, given what you know now and what you knew then, I mean, would, would London still be the best place to, to be setting that up? Would it be better to set up in, I know, Paris or, or, or Frankfurt or, or somewhere else? So at least you can passport into all the other European markets, for example. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, well, first of all, I think you would need to ask yourself um, whether you want to set it up in Europe or somewhere else in the world. Um, I think the US, um, from the experience that I've made in the last 10 years, is still probably the best market to start a, um, a, a business. It just gives you an incredibly large uh, market. You can sell your product to um, the availability of capital is also a completely different one than it is here in Europe. So I think the US, just from a rational point of view to start a company is probably still the best place in the in the in the world it's difficult for me to judge places like um asia where i think you'll have other challenges but um from a sort of europe u.s context um i think the u.s is still ahead in 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 you know lots of um the benefits it provides as a new um, starting ambitious growth company and then within europe london and and the uk is a fantastic place to start a business. Um, you know, we shouldn't forget um, that the UK is the five, fifth largest economy. Um, so, in itself, as a starting company, you do have a large market that you can um, um, that you can sell your product to. It's also a highly digital um, economy, um, which obviously is, is 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 helpful if you're starting setting up a digital economy. The other regions have um, definitely caught up a lot on this, and I think specifically post-pandemic, um, we've seen a general big boost, of course, um, towards um, the digital economy. Um, but the UK has, um, you know, as within Europe, probably um, still the best access to capital. It has um, great talent, in particular in fintech. You're still benefiting from this huge community of people that um, have a keen interest in finance, um, have worked at... Um, you know, the best global institutions that um, that have their outlets here. There's a very strong understanding from a legal perspective. Um, the regulatory uh, regime in um, in the UK is, um, is um, 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 has generally lower, lower um, levels of um, entry burdens than you would see in some European markets. So I think if you're in fintech, yes, the UK is still the best. Uh, but it does now obviously come with a big drawback that you can't passport as easily your services into Europe. And so I think as an entrepreneur, you'll then need to weigh up what are the costs of setting up a subsidiary in, in Europe in terms of, and then get two licenses effectively, uh, one for the UK and one for Europe. Um, and I think that is doable. It's um, clearly less practical. It's more costly. Um, but I would probably still prefer to set up my business in the UK then find ways how I can also operate in um, in the rest of Europe. You were talking about the virtues of the US market. Uh, is, is that uh, something that's a, a target for um, for iWalker for the future? Not not imminently, um, but our, our our mission is to fund a million businesses, and um, and that's a commitment a to the. Um, many millions of uh, micro and small businesses rather than the sort of larger medium-sized or corporate businesses. So it's a real kind of focus on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the segment 
that uh, we want to solve this problem for. But it's also because the number is so high, um, it's also a commitment to continuously and relentlessly try to find ways how we can serve more of these customers' needs and find new channels on how we can reach them. And that also includes um, going, going into more geographies. Um, and so, yes, you know, on, on, you know, over time, I'd be surprised if we wouldn't make a leap eventually also to the US or to, to other markets. Uh, lending to small business is also in, inherently um, one of the most complex um, and, and, and difficult disciplines in, um, in finance. Um, and so um, our experience is that lending isn't traveling as easily as some of the, 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 the other um, payments or foreign exchange related or um, asset management related disciplines. And therefore, we have been more targeted and more careful in the way how we're expanding. And we're operating in the UK and Germany, two out of the largest um, five economies in the world, giving us a um, huge room to grow. And um, we're we're more focused on broadening our product set and solving this problem for more businesses in a better way um, than is currently done, um, rather than spreading ourselves too thin to also do this in um, 20 different countries at the same time. So it's a bit, you know, one, one step after the other. Um, over the last few years, you know, we have built a footprint in, um, in these two regions and, um, and are heavily investing in, in building our, our product suite I think, you know, give us a few more years and I will be ready to transport this in ever more markets. So you say the target is a million uh, SMEs to lend to a million. What number are you up to right now? Do you have like a kind of, you know, like the national debt in Times Square? Do you yeah, have a kind of uh, ticker that's uh, giving you an up? I mean, the million isn't sort of like a target that we sort of stop doing <laughs> what we're doing. Um, it is a really uh, um, uh, ambitious number to lend to. We have made financing uh, available to about sixty-five thousand businesses, so you know there's still a lot of room to get um, to get to this number. Um, but we've already made a fairly good sort of step towards that long-term long-term target. And when you hit that long-term target, the one million mark, what happens then? Then you're like, okay, job done. I'm retiring to. I don't know, some island in the Caribbean or something? Uh, no. Um, as I said, like the million number is more, a, um, is more a directional number. You know, if you think about like someone like, um, the, you know, if, if you look at the largest banks in Europe, um, you know, like a Barclays, for example, in the UK or Deutsche Bank in, in, in Germany, each of those will be providing uh, bank accounts to about a million businesses. And, um, you know, they're lending to you know, way fewer than that, maybe a hundred or 150,000. So for us to lend to a million businesses means that we'd be having the scale in that segment of around 10 of the largest banks in Europe. So, you know, as you can see, it's a fairly, it's a fairly ambitious, uh, ambitious number. And it really is more the commitment to, um, um, to never stop innovating, never stop sort of trying to get um, uh, ahead to, to, to where we are than um, trying to game it and sort of reach the actual million number. So, you know, when, when we're getting very close, then we're probably, um, you know, ad adjusting it. But it's a, it's a directional measure rather than an, a KPI that we need to hit. Right. And uh, I know we are running out of time. I know you've got, uh, got to, to rush off to, to other meetings as well. So I'll just get to my, my final question, um, which is what's the weirdest or craziest thing you've ever built or done in your life? 
and creating iwaka cannot be your answer the weirdest thing i've ever created in my in my life um i wouldn't so <laughs> I wouldn't call it weird, but probably the best things I've created in my life are my my two children. Um, and you know, you know, occasionally they can be really weird, and I still created them. But um, you know, they're still sort of my two 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 masterpieces, um, which would be my answer to your question. All right. Well, I guess uh, I can't really uh, refuse such a, such an answer, being a father of uh, of two masterpieces myself so uh, on that uh, on that fatherly note uh, Christoph Rieche co-founder and CEO of iWalker thanks so much for joining me on the FN Tech podcast thank you Elliot architects leave their mark on our cities and landscapes with the structures they design and build and although Christoph's creative talents may not have come up to snuff for him to do that the small businesses iWalker has helped secure the capital they need and the ones it'll help in the future will surely have an impact perhaps not on the landscape but on the economy their employees and the families they help support so thank you Christoph Riecher and thank you for listening to the Fintech podcast with me Elliot Gotkin now part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities program. If you like what you heard you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website www.parisfintechforum.com. If you've got any comments, suggestions or feedback you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at @parisfinforum or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next week for more of the best deaf in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.